0: Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to Genesis 49. Genesis 49, page 42 in the Blue Pew Bible. We'll read uh, the first 12 verses of Genesis 49. This is God's holy word. Let us hear it. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power unstable as water you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed then you defiled it he went up to my couch Simeon and Levi our brothers weapons of violence are Their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, we're in the, uh, the same event that we uh, looked at in the previous chapter, Jacob uh, meeting with uh, his sons. Uh, You recall that when Jacob was brought down to Egypt, he was not doing well health wise and uh, he uh, seemed to not think that he was gonna live much longer. At that point, he was 130 years old he thought he would die soon, but he didn't. That was 17 years earlier from this point that we're uh, at here in these chapters. Now here in Genesis 49, he's 147 years old. And now he was very close to death. He's literally on his uh, deathbed. He had to summon all his strength strength just to be able to sit up and meet with Joseph and Joseph's two sons. And what a meeting that was. We saw it in the uh, last chapter. Jacob did that crossed arm blessing on these boys. Uh, Rather than doing it the expected way, the conventional way, uh, with the older receiving the greater blessings, uh, it uh, went the other way the greater blessings were given to the younger. And then right after meeting with uh, Joseph and those boys, we see what happens here in our chapter. Joseph, or rather Jacob, summoned all his other sons to meet with him. uh, And uh, he did that because he knew uh, he would die soon. So Jacob said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what will happen in the days to come? Assemble and listen, O oh, sons of Jacob, to Israel, your father. And they did. They gathered around him, and uh, Leah's sons were there Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar. Dan and Naphtali were there as well, the sons of Rachel's handmaiden, Bilhah. Gad and Asher were there, the sons of Leah's handmaid, Zilpah. And of course, the sons of Rachel were there as well, Joseph and Benjamin. But this wasn't just a one final meeting to say goodbye to their dying father, Uh, like we might tend to have if someone's dying. People will come, the family will come together for one last chance to see and speak with uh, that person. And uh, this isn't just a meeting for um, Jacob to wish well to his children. There's much more going on here. What happens next is the uttering of a great prophecy spoken through Jacob. It's called a blessing here, but it's not that Jacob had some kind of power to be able to impart a blessing to uh, these boys uh, who are grown men at this point. He's speaking forth God's word. He's just speaking forth these blessings. It's just like what we saw earlier uh, when Jacob was a young man Remember, his father Isaac gave him the greater blessing, and he gave a much lesser blessing to Esau. And again, it was God and his sovereign will being spoken forth in those blessings. And these words that Jacob utters here um, it's important to know that these aren't just words that Jacob wanted to utter. He's not just saying how he wants it to go. He's not expressing his favoritism here and his will. Now, if that were so, we would see the greatest blessing being given to Joseph or to Benjamin. Now, remember, he was not one who was shy about his favoritism. Hopefully, he'd learned better uh, in his old age, but, We don't see him expressing his will here. He's not not doing that. This is God's will being uttered. The spirit of the Lord is upon Jacob. And Jacob is acknowledging God's hand and God's purposes, God's plan. And he's speaking forth prophetically God's future plans that God has for these men and their offspring this is all about God's sovereign will being proclaimed and it will be done in the future and so with his sons gathered around Jacob began this series of pronouncements Reuben came first and no one at that bedside was probably more nervous than Reuben Who could forget what Reuben had done? Well, we're reminded here, he defiled his father's bed by sleeping with Jacob's concubine, Bilhah. That is absolutely horrible and appalling, even by today's uh, standards of wickedness, horrible. Well, in light of that, Reuben must have been little surprised to hear Jacob begin to speak and and have such good things to say about him when he began in verse 3 Jacob said Reuben you're my firstborn my might the first fruits of my strength preeminent in dignity and power probably thought wow that's very positive that's this is better than I expected. Very complimentary. On a human level, it was. It was very, very positive, and it was also um, an apt description of Reuben. He was uh, uh, the firstborn. He was uh, a powerful man, uh, an impressive man, a man with so much potential. And maybe his hopes rose as he heard these words From Jacob. And then came the reality check. Jacob continued to speak, and he spoke what amounts to a curse. He said, Reuben, you're unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, you defiled it. And it says, he went up to my couch. Now, it seems that in in Scripture, since that event happened, um, we don't have a record of Jacob saying much about it or doing anything about it. He kept pretty quiet about Reuben's sin. At least Scripture doesn't record it if he did say or do anything about it. We're not even aware that he rebuked him for that sin. At least, scripture, again, Scripture doesn't tell us. But here on his deathbed, Jacob spoke and he said what needed to be said. And he spoke God's verdict about this man. He said, you will not have preeminence, firstborn or not, for you went up to your father's bed. And in that last phrase of verse 4, Jacob switches... You, you may notice he switches from speaking to Reuben to suddenly speaking about him in the third person. It's as if Jacob in that moment turned his eyes away from Reuben and looked at all his other sons and was just appalled. And he tells them the sickening truth. He went up to my couch. I said, that's a gentle way of saying He raped my wife. What a sickening, shameful thing he had done, Reuben. It must have absolutely broken Jacob's heart when it happened. And here in front of his brothers, Jacob spoke the truth about Reuben and his shameful, revolting act. And this prophetic word that Jacob uttered here came true. No great leaders would come from Reuben. No prophets, no judges or kings. His descendants settled outside the promised land. They settled in the area beyond the Jordan and eventually just kind of faded out of redemptive history. It's very sad. And in verses five to seven here, we see the words spoken regarding Simeon and Levi. Their ears must have perked up after hearing what Reuben got. The firstborn was displaced. Well, they're next in line. Maybe they thought they would get the preeminent blessing now that Reuben was out of the way and rejected, but then Jacob spoke. And we hear God's pronouncement, his prophetic pronouncement on them here. You remember what they had done. Remember the massacre that they carried out against the men of Shechem back in Genesis 34. Well, now Jacob spoke concerning them and he said, Simeon and Levi are brothers, weapons of violence, Are there swords? And listen to this. He says, Let my soul not come into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. They don't really even get the niceties that uh, their older brother got. They slaughtered those men. And that came from uh, a sinful, uh, uncontrolled desire for revenge. And they took that revenge to the max, to an extreme. Uh, It was way beyond what would have been equitable. It was way beyond an eye for an eye. Their sister was raped, and not to make light of that, but their response was to murder, deceive first of all, and murder the helpless men of Shechem after they tricked them into being circumcised. It was an absolute bloodbath. And God was not pleased. And so he gives this sharp rebuke to them through Jacob. Jacob even says, let let me not come into their council or be joined to their company. That is a stinging rebuke, an indictment of their behavior. Jacob's basically saying, I will not have fellowship with the likes of you men. And really, it's not Jacob so much that's saying that, it's God. These are God's words being uttered. God is saying, I don't have fellowship with people like this. There's no communion between light and darkness. A godly person can't have close communion with an ungodly person. And neither will God. God will not have communion, living communion, a sweet personal relationship with someone who gives themselves over to such evil actions. A person like that shows that they are not a friend of God. It's a sobering warning for us. It's also beautiful, though, that God... Reminds us here that this is what he holds out for his people, that close communion, that wonderful offer of friendship and fellowship with God. Well, this prophecy uh, came true as well for Simeon and Levi. Neither of these two tribes were given a portion in the land. The tribe of Sim- Simeon all but disappeared, and the tribe of Levi was scattered throughout Israel. You know what became of them? They became ministering priests in Israel, the Levites. Now that's certainly not too bad of a thing, is it? We have to say here, they got the better uh, of the two tribes. One tribe disappears, but the other experienced God's grace, even in the midst of judgment. And we see God's sovereignty here again his sovereignty and his grace toward his people. He was very gracious to the Levites. True, they didn't receive an inheritance in the land, they didn't have land of their own, but they became servants of the Lord. That was a great privilege for them. And the Lord himself was said to be their inheritance. That was a great blessing indeed. Even in the midst of this verdict being pronounced upon them, God was gracious to them. And then we come to Judah in verses 8 to 12. And this will be the last uh, blessing that we look at today. Judah... Judah had a dark history uh, as well. You may remember, uh, like these three brothers who were mentioned before him. Uh, What was was it that Judah did? You recall he impregnated Tamar, who was his daughter-in-law, who was the widow of his own deceased son. He slept with her thinking that she was a Canaanite prostitute. That's not much better. He thought he was going to a prostitute. It ended up it was her, his daughter-in-law, disguised. Skeletons in the closet, he's got them too. Not good. But if you've been paying attention, we have seen a good change uh, occur in this man, Judah, by God's grace. He was being changed. Uh, it seemed the shame of what happened, and he really was put to shame by what happened with Tamar. Uh, it was all exposed. Uh, perhaps it humbled him. We saw back in Genesis 38 that he confessed, he confessed his sin, and he said, she's more righteous than I am. And Scripture seems to show the proof that his life had changed, at least somewhat. Judah was the one who pleaded for Benjamin to be released. And he offered himself. Remember when uh, Joseph was still unknown to them as their brother, he offered himself, Judah did, uh, as a substitute. Uh, he was willing to be the one who would suffer and become a slave um, for Joseph instead of Benjamin. And that way, Judah showed that he was, he was different. He was a changed man. That was not the kind of man he was years before when they sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt. He was being changed. Not only that, but he became in that instant uh, a type and a shadow of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who himself willingly laid down his life as a substitute for his beloved friends, for us sinners. We have to think that Judah probably had no idea of the kind of blessing he was about to receive from Jacob. Boy, after hearing what he'd heard, For his previous brothers, the earlier uh, three, he probably was worried because he knew his history. And yet this is the greatest of all these blessings. And it speaks not mainly about earthly blessings, although that would be part of it as well for this tribe. Judah would become... um, A dominant tribe in Israel. Judah would become the last of the tribes to be faithful to the Lord. But there's even more to it than that. Here's some of it again in verses 8 to 10. This is beautiful, uh, poetic, artistic imagery being used here. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow before you. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This prophecy is is not just about this man, Judah, and his physical descendants. It is about one of his descendants in particular. Judah is going to have a beautiful role in bringing the Messiah into the world. It speaks of the Lord Jesus. It speaks of his kingdom. It speaks of his reign. This is the fulfillment of all God's promises that have been uttered up to now, all his promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God's first promise of the Redeemer. Well, here's how that Redeemer would come into the world. It would be through Judah. And again, it's not Judah or the tribe itself that are going to be praised, but it's this one glorious descendant who's going to be praised the lion of the tribe of judah jesus christ he's the one his hand will be on the neck of his enemies what an image that is that's the kind of power and dominance the lord jesus christ will have lion like dominance he's pictured here uh, this lion seizing his prey and crouching over it fiercely. His enemies don't stand a chance. And that is the reality. He is the very best friend of sinners. Before his enemies, he will be their worst nightmare. Psalm two comes to mind. The nations rage and they plot against the Lord and against his Messiah. They reject his authority. They try to rebel against him. But God says in Psalm 2, speaking to his son, you will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That is the reality of true blessedness God blesses those who take refuge in his son instead of rebelling against him what a picture this is of lion-like strength powerful imagery Jesus Christ is that Almighty God He is a wonderful, gracious savior to all who will take refuge in him, to all who will trust in him for salvation. But to those who reject him, they should fear and tremble because the lion is coming again and when he does, he will roar for he comes to judge the world in righteousness. And we see a a picture of the Savior's reign in verses 11 to 12. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. This is thought to be a picture of of great prosperity in the Messiah's kingdom. There will be so many grapes. That's the image here. There's going to be such a, an abundance of grapes that he could tie his donkey to the vine with the very best grapes. They could eat as many of those grapes as they wanted and it wouldn't even matter. They could eat them all up and there would still be an endless supply of these choice grapes. There's such a surplus of blessedness, such a surplus of wine that uh, uh, it's pictured here as uh, people washing their clothes in that rather than water. Of course, you wouldn't wash your clothes in wine, but the point is this image is this over-the-top image uh, that's meant to communicate incredible blessing, incredible prosperity, a superabundance of this wonderful wine. And it's not speaking of material blessings primarily. It's speaking of spiritual blessings, spiritual prosperity. These people who were listening to this blessing, these these sons of Jacob, they hadn't even um, inherited the promised land yet. The prosperity that would be enjoyed there in Canaan, which would be very great when the Israelites conquered the land, that would be very great. You remember it was called a land flowing with milk and honey. You remember the, the, the sampling of grapes they found, the grapes of Eshkol, uh, clusters of grapes that they could barely carry. There were so many and so large. But it was never as great as the description that's given here, that material blessing in the land of Canaan. And that's because those material blessings, those earthly blessings of Canaan were just a small foretaste of the spiritual blessings that the Messiah the Savior, would pour out upon His people in His spiritual kingdom. Countless spiritual blessings, too great to number. That's what we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see another foretaste of uh, those spiritual blessings when He came into the world. Think of the, the wedding at Cana. He turned water into wine. And not just wine, but amazing wine, the very best wine. And that wedding miracle was another sign. It was a sign announcing that this great figure from the tribe of Judah had finally come. He had come, the long-awaited Messiah. He had come and his disciples believed in him. They put their faith in him. And we all need to do that. We need to believe in him. We need to trust in him. He has come. The promised son of Adam, who would come to crush the head of the serpent, to destroy the work of the devil, He's the true son of Abraham. He is the son of Judah, prophesied here. He is the son of David. He is the eternal son of God. And he has come. And when we humble ourselves, and we trust in him to save us from our sins, he blesses us. He lavishes every spiritual blessing upon us in union with Him. Everything that belongs to Him, He pours out on us in superabundance. He takes us from spiritual death and He gives us abundant life. He makes us alive to God and He gives us peace with God. He causes the the fruit of the Spirit to grow in abundance in our lives. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you have very little earthly prosperity, when you have Jesus Christ, you have abundant spiritual blessings. Believer, you and I have everything through the one who gave up everything and shed his blood for our salvation. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord Jesus Christ for all that he's done for us. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your wonderful plan of redemption. We thank you for your son We thank you for this perfect salvation that he's accomplished for us. We thank you for all that he has done and for all that uh, he will do for us in the glorious future that is stored up for us in heaven and in the new earth that is soon to come. Grant that we would trust in him with all of our hearts. Grant that we would not lean upon our own understanding or ever lean upon our own righteousness, grant us a firm, enduring faith in your Son, who is uh, the sum and substance and the fulfillment of all your great and glorious promises to your people. To him truly belongs all praise and glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen.